Hey, I'm Michaela Lefrac, the host of Vermont Edition. The podcast you're about to listen to has been edited for clarity and brevity. Happy listening. This is Vermont Edition. I'm Michaela Lefrac. During this gray time of year, indoor plants can add a much-needed hit of greenery to your home. But not everyone has a green thumb. I know I have killed my fair share of houseplants in my day, usually by loving them too much and overwatering them. But that's just me. Today on the show, we are answering all of your houseplant questions, from what types of plants go best in a certain spot in your house or apartment, to how to eradicate those annoying little bugs that have set up shop on your beloved plants. We have three plant experts on hand today. Callista Boudreau is the owner of Green Spell Plant Shop in Rutland. Callista, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited. Me too. And we are also joined by Deb Haliba, the coordinator of the University of Vermont Extension's Master Gardener Program. Deb, welcome. Hi. Thanks, Michaela. Glad to have you. We're also joined by your colleague, Judy Miro, a volunteer with the Master Gardener Program, and I hear the resident houseplant expert. Judy, welcome. (laughs) Hi, thanks for having us. Judy, I hear that you have more than 100 houseplants. Is that true? (laughs) Yes, I am a houseplant order. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we'll get into that in just a second. Um, Calista, first, let's start with you. I'd love to hear a little bit more about your shop in Rutland. When did you open it? So we've been open for a little over two years. We opened um, 2021. And, you know, it was never uh, a life path that I thought I would take. But um, just like many other people during the pandemic, I just really dove into houseplants and um, I can't imagine doing anything else every day. Mm. Okay. So your time home at the pandemic kind of inspired the the hobby to turn into a career? Yeah, it was definitely, you know, plants were always a big part of my life, but there was just something about being home all the time and needing to nurture things and really just diving into um more more in-depth information about these plants. They're very addicting, as I'm sure um, many people have found. Um, but it's also just really exciting to share it with the community. Mm. And and I should note that that this isn't you know just a hobby that turned into a career for you. Prior prior to owning or prior to opening Green Spell Plant Shop in Rutland, you were a high school biology teacher. Is that right? Yeah, I was a biology teacher, and um, I also taught eighth grade science. Um, so kind of, kind of bounced around with what I wanted to do though. So I have a biology degree, but also studied marine biology. I think the common factor is just being really interested in life and living things. Um, but yeah, it's, I'm happy where I am today. Right. Well, Deb, let's hear a little bit more about the Master Gardener program at UVM Extension. Uh, what, what do people learn there? Sure. Um, so uh, we have, our, through our UVM Extension Community Horticulture Program, which is um, our overall program, mm-hmm. um, we offer the Extension Master Gardener Program, which is a 16-week um, course where our students learn everything from botany basics to integrated pest management 
entomology, diseases, and then we dive into the plants themselves, everything, um, mostly outdoor plants, um, but everything there uh, is to know about gardening. Mm. We I also have a backyard composting program as well. So um, after our students uh, complete the course, they go on to become um, intern volunteers and they spend about 40 hours doing um, education in our communities, um, offering, helping others mm. learn about gardening and backyard composting. And do you think that there's um, there's much of an overlap between outdoor gardening and uh, houseplant care, having a green thumb inside versus outside? Well, certainly um, the soil fertility and be paying attention to uh, growing conditions where you're placing your plants, light, um, um, definitely overlap mm. for sure. And Judy, how did you first get involved with UVM Extension? Uh, it started many, many years ago. Uh, I, <laughs> I've always loved gardening. Uh, my family was always into gardening. And I had started, I rooted a, a tree, a fruit tree in the backyard, and it was getting a little too big. And my dad suggested we, uh, you know, move it since it wasn't going to last very long in the backyard and that we donate it to a local school. And I said, well, that sounds great. I think I was nine years old at the time. And I said, well, how are we going to do it? And he goes, I'm not really sure, but I know people that will be able to tell us. And he got out the phone book and looked up the Master Gardener program. And he said, we need to make this phone call. And these people on the other end of the phone are going to tell us just what to do. <laughs> and he said, here's the phone. You make the phone call. And the gentleman on the other end of the phone was amazing. And he guided me step by step. I took notes. And uh, I, I just when I got off the phone, I said to my dad, that's what I want to do. I want to be able to answer those questions one day. And uh, it was great. I just, uh, and so it just helped me just keep, you know, learning more and more about plants. And I was an environmental student anyways, but it just was just fantastic. And, and then eventually I got to take the course and I became one of those people on the other end of the phone answering those questions. So. Yeah, and here you are. No, I have to know, as somebody exactly. who has more than 100 house plants, are you also the kind of person <laughs> that names your plants? I name some of them, but mostly I, I grow them and give give plants away. Oh. So that's the other thing, too. I like to spread the love. Oh, that's a great <laughs> gift to give. Well, we already yeah. have a question coming in on the phones. And if you have questions for our houseplant experts, our number is 800-639-2211. You can also email those in to vermontedition at vermontpublic.org. Uh, we have a call from Carol in Dorset. Carol, you're on the air. Go ahead. Uh, yes. I planted a lemon seed or several lemon seeds about six, seven years ago. And I understand that they're supposed to uh, bloom and produce fruit after about seven years. But I'm wondering if I'm supposed to be doing anything particular about the fertilization. One that I um, have that really flourished is doing well, but I don't know what to do from here on in. Mm. 
All right. A, a lemon seed trouble question. Um, I know all three of you could probably answer many of the questions, so we'll be getting in. So I'll toss them around uh, to each of you, but feel free to jump in uh, if somebody answers and you have something else to add. But Deb, let's start with you on this one. What do you think? Oh, for lemon seed. Um, gosh, I am probably not the best person to answer that question. I do know that uh, citrus tend to like an acidic um, mm -hmm. soil. So that might be something to look into. This time of year is tricky for um, citrus. Um, you know, they do like light, um, direct light. Um, if you've brought them inside, you might see that they've lost some leaves. Um, I wouldn't worry too, too much about that. Um, it's sort of their rest period. Um, and then I think just patience and just making sure the acidic soil piece might might help and maybe we can mm -hmm. kick it over to Callista and Judy to chime in. Yeah. Calista, I was Judy. also gonna yeah I was gonna add this is Judy. I was gonna add the making sure you're watering them enough too. They like a bit of moisture and in winters we tend to be pretty dry uh because of the you know so much heat. So I would be adding a humidifier uh in the area that you're growing them in the winter time. Hmm. Calista anything no. to add there? Yeah, absolutely. So I don't do a lot from seed, but we get um, mature lemon trees in that we sell and mature citrus. And in my research, um, it, it seems like a lot of the, the trees that are fruiting and blooming at the store um, are often grafted onto a more mature tree. Mm -hmm. So the maturity piece of that is really important. The lemon trees take a long time to um, reach maturity. Um, but then also the variety of lemon is important as well. So if you're keeping it as solely an indoor plant, um, if it's a self-fertilizing variety, like a Meyer lemon, that will be important. But if it's not, then popping it outside in a sunny spot in the summer when temperatures are favorable for its growth um, would definitely be the way to go. So you get the pollinators fertilizing um, those blooms for you. Mm. Well, Carol, I hope that helps and good luck with your lemon seeds. And this actually reminds me of an email that we got from a listener named Art ahead of today's show who writes, yes, I know we are in Vermont, but I want my own lim lemons and limes. I have two four foot grow lights and a small heater in a four by six, not very naturally sunny indoor location. Two years ago, I bought a three foot Meyer lemon tree. It slowly got happy and outside for the, and it thrived outside for the summer. This past spring, I bought a key lime tree of the same height. I put them both outside for the summer, and they were so happy. Before the first frost, he brought them in, and the two-year-old Meyer lemon tree was doing well, didn't miss a beat, but the newer lime tree sounds like is not so happy. Leaves have fallen. Others have curled up. Uh, he's been misting them with water most days, but the lime tree still is not dead, but not healthy, kind of in a zombie state, it sounds like. Um, Calista, any thoughts there? Yeah, so the curling leaves definitely indicate um, a need for moisture. Like was mentioned earlier, um, citrus love a lot of water, but also a nice, well-draining acidic soil. Um, so if if it's dropping leaves, it's just showing that it's stressed. So it, um, it went from its nice, sunny, warm location outdoors, inside, and, you know, this time of year, um, our houses are a lot drier um, with all the heat going and whatnot. So... I'd say just give it um, a chance to adjust. And if you scratch at the bark um, and still see green, then it, it'll probably 
return. Um, but definitely not making too many drastic changes is a key for most trees. Okay. Well, we hope the yeah. lime, lime tree lasts till the summer. Yes, uh, Judy or Deb? Oh, um, I just wanted to chime in. Um, I did reach out to the University of Vermont Greenhouses about um, Art's question. Uh, they, the greenhouses grow a really lovely collection of citrus and they're in bloom or in fruit this time of year. So they're really nice. Um, they they did say that um, if it's a Persian lime, they have per their Persian limes tend to drop leaves very easily. So you might expect to see that um, this time of year um pretty normal when they come in for the winter um but as calista said as long as the stems are green um the plant stays alive you you know spring will we'll see better days mm. okay this is uh, heartening for me as the um a new owner of a giant hibiscus plant that I got from a neighbor off of by nothing. It's about, I would say, about six feet tall. Um, and since mm -hmm. bringing it in for the winter has been dropping a lot of leaves. It flowers, one flower, maybe once a week. And I've been very worried about it. Um, Judy, do you, um, do you think mm -hmm. it's going to make it through? Sure, it will. I love hibiscus. It's actually one of my favorite um Hibiscus is a hibiscus rosa senescus. It, it's a double pink. I love hibiscus, but they too like a lot of, you know, humidity. So if you've got it in a place where it's pretty dry, you know, it's not going to be too happy and it likes a lot of sun. So, mm. you know, make sure it's getting some of that nice South sun or nice, you know, West window or a nice South window. Um, and, uh, make sure you're getting the water to it. Um, It'll be much more happy. But if you overwater it, you know, once again, we overlove our plants and we overwater them and then those buds drop right off. Mm -hmm. Hibiscus can be a little picky. Yeah. Got to watch those. Yes. That's what I'm learning. But the flowers are amazing. They're bright yellow and they like make me feel like I'm in Hawaii or something. Uh, we got an yeah. email. Okay. Enough of my questions for a minute. We got an email from Mark <laughs> in Brookfield who wrote in to say, I hope your guests will discuss which plants are toxic to pets. I have cats as well mm. as houseplants and the cats chew on my houseplants on occasion. And that limits mm. my options on greenery a bit. Um, I know that uh, some houseplants are also toxic to human pets, aka babies, uh, who are toddling mm. around sometimes. Um, Callista, any advice on certain houseplants to avoid if you have uh, a chewer Absolutely. in your home? Yeah. Yeah. So we get this question every day at the shop. Um, so there are many groups of plants that are 100% pet safe, and including peperomia, pilea, um, hoya, um, spider plants are, but um, there's another piece to that. There's actually like an addictive um, portion of that. I'm not exactly sure what the um, enzyme or whatever Wait, it is. Wait, spider plants can be addictive to pets? So they won't harm your pet. But if you've ever noticed, I actually had a customer who said her cat, she put the spider plant in a back bedroom because her cat was just you know, just wreaking havoc on it. And the cat actually dug under the door and ripped up her carpet trying to no. get to it. So if you've had that experience, that's what's going on. Um, well, our show director is <laughs> nodding strongly. So I think I'm going to be hearing a story about this after today's show. Fascinating. Okay, um, go on. Yeah. So I actually, I avoid those. I have a cat too. And I, you know, I don't like the chew marks on the, on the plant, but um Let's see what else. Um, succulents, most succulents, Escheveria specifically, um, 
most ferns, true ferns and true mm -hmm. palms. And I'm sure I'm forgetting some, but um, mm -hmm. yeah, we actually, I just did a, a Facebook and Instagram post about that. So hmm. fresh there, in my brain. There you go. Uh, Deb or uh, Judy, anything to add there? Yeah, um, I have that issue too with the cat and the spider plant. So <laughs> I'm joining the club. Um, <laughs> my cat also enjoys to chew on uh, holiday cacti, like Christmas cactus, um, but those are non-toxic as well. Um, stay away from like uh, some that I make sure to keep the cat away are snake plant. Um, let's see, what else? Uh, aloe, aloe, um, euphorbia. Mm -hmm. yeah. can, can I jump in too? Please. Um, one, I, I, with all of my plants, and I have two cats. I, I grow uh, uh, pet-friendly grass for the cats, and as long as you, well, not every pet's going to be this way, but if you can offer them uh, an alternative, and if your pet enjoys it like an oat grass or, or some rye grass or something that they will enjoy and you offer it in enough places around the house, um, that's a great way to get them focused on something that they'll eat and stay away from mm. the rest of your plants. Mm. Um, the only problem I have is that my cats do enjoy my ponytail palm, but it's the, <laughs> and it's fine. They can, it's, it's non-toxic. So that's great but it's the only plant they enjoy attacking uh, and chewing on. So at least they pick the one plant that's non-toxic. So <laughs> plus, plus the cat grass. Yeah. So that's I also have a sense that the, uh, the overlap of the Venn diagram between cat people and plant people is probably pretty large. Um, I, I am part of it. But. <laughs> we just got a lot of calls. So let's dive into them right now. We'll start with Jim in Bolton. Jim, you're on the air. Go ahead. Hello. Yes, about a month ago, I was walking down the hall and there was a box with three plants and I picked one up and I brought it back, but I have no idea what kind of plant it is. And it, it's not doing too well. Uh, it has leaves that have five points on them, kind of like an open hand, but more star-shaped. And the, they, they're sort of darker in the center. This plant is about 10 inches long. My son picked up one at the same time. His is doing better than mine. I forgot to ask him what he's doing. Uh, do you have any idea what kind of plant it may be? Uh, the leaves eventually, they were not, a lot of red leaves on it when I picked it up, but they've gone now. I mm -hmm. guess eventually some of the leaves, or maybe all of them, turn red. All right, plant detectives. Uh, Judy, we'll start with you. Thoughts? I, I, I'm sorry, I could not hear the caller. Um, Deb or Callista, were you able to hear? Otherwise, we can. Uh, I can. Uh, no, it was a little garbled. Yeah, I didn't. Yeah. I didn't. Here. Okay, Jim, can you Is tell us again? It's a, it's a, uh, you received a free plant. Uh, it has star shaped red leaves. No, they're, 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 they eventually turn red. They're green and they're darker in the center. Okay. And uh, uh, as they get bigger, the center darkens. And eventually, some, uh, maybe all of them turn red. It had a bunch of red leaves on it. Uh, I said it's about 10 inches long. The one my son picked up was probably a, little, a bunch of them, probably. A little bit longer than that. Uh, it has some scent to it. Okay. I can't describe this. Scent. Scent. But the, 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 it's kind of like an open hand. With it's, it's not star shaped. It's like half a star or an open hand. It's the bottom. It goes straight across the bottom, and there are five points. 
Mm, interesting. Okay, kind of star-shaped, kind of like an open hand, about 10 inches long. Um, leaves were green but are turning red. Is this ringing any bells for anyone? Mm. I guess what I would suggest, um, we have uh, you know, free service. It's a garden helpline. Um, and we regularly get um, inquiries to help identify um, plants and and pests. So I might um, suggest to you, Jim, um, if you would be willing to just, um, you know, give us a an email to that um, to our helpline. I can give you the the URL. It's uh, go.uvm.edu/gardenquestion. Um, we have about 35 um, trained extension master gardeners, including Judy, um, that are located around the state that are um, on call um, 24-7, 365 days um, a year. So um, the, our helpline allows you to upload a picture or two, um, and then we can help you identify it, um, that plant that way. It's it's really hard to do that over the phone, unfortunately. No, thank you for that plug for the helpline, Deb. And we will include a link to that helpline in our show notes for today's show on vermontpublic.org. So you'll also be able to find that there, Jim. Um, let's move on to some other calls coming in. We have Tegan in Rochester. Tegan, you're on the air. Go ahead. Hi, Michaela and everybody. Thank you for taking my call. Um, I'm a plant person with tons of plants, but I have uh, two questions. The first one is about a bromeliad um, that I've had for about two years, and I know that the original plant after it flowers dies back and it gets pups that you can divide up and replant, but I didn't do that, um, and now the three pups that were growing are kind of taken over the whole plant. Can I still safely separate it into three plants, or what will happen with it now? Calista? Uh, oh. Yeah. Or Deb? Or Judy? Yeah, so for bromeliad, it, and I don't know which variety you have, but you're looking at just separating a larger plant and uh, propagating it basically by separation. That that sounds fine by me. I generally wait until spring before propagating uh, any of my house plants. Uh, Midwinter, things are pretty much moving slow, so spring's the best time to to do any propagating. Um, so I'd kind of hold off for another couple of months. Um, and, but yeah. Yeah. One tip I have, um, if you are separating um, the, the pups or the babies, um, if you're using any sort of, sort of cutting implement, make sure they're sterilized, make sure they're clean, mm -hmm. a little bit of rubbing alcohol or hot water and soap works well. Um, but then also one step that I see a lot of people kind of skipping is letting um, the cut kind of callus over a little bit before um, putting it in its own pot um, and then wetting the soil. And that just really reduces your risk of um, getting a bacterial issue um, with your new plant. Mm. And take it, did you say you had another question? Uh, yeah, thank you so much for that. The other question is about a strawberry begonia with a rescue plant and um, it's super infested with mealybugs, which unfortunately got onto some of my mm. seed plants. So now I'm trying to treat both plants. So a question about how, what, what do you recommend best um, for treating mealybugs? And how can I, what can you recommend for trying to rehab this, the strawberry begonia that the leaves keep dying back because it got so infested with the mealybugs and I'm trying to save it? Mm. Mealybugs. Mm. Who wants to take mealy. those? I can. Um, <laughs> Is that okay? Um, so mealybugs, the, 
the thing I like to do is go in and kill as many of the adults as I can first. And so a really effective way to do that is to take some rubbing alcohol, isopropyl alcohol on a little cotton swab or a Q-tip and just going through and just hitting all of the spots that you see affected. And when that mealybug turns pink, it's dead. Um, so going through and physically just taking the time to remove those is really effective, but then you're not going to get all of them. There, there will be tiny little ones and the eggs um, left behind. So you need to just really keep up on it. You can spray it every day for about a week with like a neem oil based spray. Um, just make sure you don't have it in the sun while um, the neem oil is on that. Um, removing any leaves that are really heavily infested also um, works well and definitely isolating that plant while um, mm. the infestation is ongoing. Mm. Well, thank you for those tips. And Tegan, good luck with the mealy pan- plants in the bromeliad. Uh, Jody in Johnson is up next. Jody, you're on the air. What's your what's your house plant question for our panel? Hi, I'm actually looking for recommendations for house plants for a small apartment with north facing windows. So basically, no direct sun. Mm. I have this question too. Thank you for asking it, Jody. Um, thoughts? Uh, let's see. For north facing. Was, was the question um, a small apartment with north, north facing north windows? North facing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, there's a couple of ideas. Um, gosh, I was thinking uh, staghorn. I wonder if a staghorn fern might do well there. So some of you guys, some of my favorite low light plants or plants that can just tolerate low light and will do well for you in a, um, in a North window, definitely snake plants. Um, you'll just want to make sure that you, you are letting it dry out between waterings because with less light, they'll be using less water. Um, and the care on those, let them dry out a hundred percent and then give them a really good, um, soaking, um, every time you water. So ZZ plants as well. Mm. Um, same exact care. A lot of philodendrons will do really well for you and pothos. Pothos. Um, Peace, peace lilies. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, there, there are quite a few, as long as you get it right in the window, um, the farther back you get from the light source, it just decreases just by bounds how much um, light is available to the plant. So I think that makes a big difference as well. And then really cut back on your watering so that you don't overwater. Yeah. We've received a number of questions about watering and overwatering. I'm hoping that each of you might be able to provide maybe like one rule of thumb uh, about watering, maybe a common mistake that you see. And then we also got a question from a listener who writes, how often should I be watering my Thanksgiving cactus right now Mm -hmm. during the Mm -hmm. winter? Um, So maybe let's talk watering. Callista, let's start with you. Yeah. So the general, what I, I tell all my customers, you need to actually physically touch the soil before you add any more moisture to the plant. So I'll just go around and I have I have so many plants and then the shop is filled with hundreds of plants. And we, if we were watering, you know, weekly even, there, there's just no way, but plants don't really need as much as you might think. So you go around, touch the soil. Um, if it's still wet, 
likely you won't be watering for a while, depending on what it is. There are a few plants that um, are the exception. Um, but touch the soil, dig down a little bit and see if um, there's moisture still. And depending on the type of plant, um, then I like to make sure when it is time for a drink to give it a really nice soak because over time soil beca can become um, hydrophobic, meaning it kind of repels water. So mm -hmm. making sure when it is time to water, you're getting water to the root ball um, is really important as well. Mm, all great tips. Uh, let's go next to Deb Haliba. Yeah, um, uh, I agree with everything that Callista said. Um, this time of year, uh, sort of the transition um, from season to season. So, um, you know, now that we're not getting as much light, we can really back off that water a lot. Um, my best purchase was, uh, I think it was like six to 12 bucks. Um, is, um, and now it's my best friend is a moisture meter. <laughs> um, it's, um, for me, it helped, uh, helped me really dial in my watering. Um, I have one in my office and at my house now. Um, it's, you know, it's inexpensive and it's a way it's basically has a probe and you just pop it into the, the soil of the plant and it will tell you, um, you know, how much moisture is in that soil. I also um, now am doing a lot more bottom watering. So I have a little, you know, the dishes that you can buy at the, um, the, uh, that are the plant is in and just water into that. Um, I um, had quite a bit of a fungus gnat um, experience in my office. <laughs> oh, no. Uh -oh. Um, and that's those those are very common with um, waste conditions. So that has really helped a lot. Mm. Those are great too. All right, Judy Miro, your turn. Watering yeah, tips. Yeah, I'm I'm right on with both of the ladies. Uh I I think for me when I talk to beginners, I always push the rapid test uh, soil moisture meters because it's it's the way people can learn uh, to to understand that oh my gosh, I don't have to water every week. I can really go two weeks or I can almost go three weeks on on certain plants. It's it's really a great uh teaching tool. Um, or even use a, a, you know, a long toothpick or a skewer, you know, just something to go down into the soil and, and check for moisture. You, you know, if you, if you don't want to pay $10 for the meter, just get a wooden skewer and check the soil for moisture, but anything um, to just get in there and, and check it. And once, once you get a feel for it, you really understand when your plants need, need watering. Mm. But you know, when I go, when I go away, it, you know, my husband's got to deal with my plants. So it's kind of handy to have a, a meter so he can just like poke it and, and check, you know, check plants. And it makes, and even at my office when I'm away, it's, it's, it's nice to know that folks don't have to guess uh, whether they need to water a plant. They just use the meter. It's, it's nice, but, mm. but everything works a couple inches with your finger, even just dig a little down in the soil, mm. but and helpful to hear from all of you, though, that that in the winter, a little bit of benevolent neglect in terms of watering can can actually do more good than harm that we do often tend to overwater. Uh, well, let's go back to the phones. Um, we have Mason in Putney calling in with a question. Mason, you're on the air. Go ahead. Hi, thank you for taking my call. I have two quick questions for you guys today. And one of them was actually just touched on briefly. 
I have in my father's office um, back home in California, I've got three house plants. Uh, one of them is a snake plant or a mother-in-law. It's giant, um, a pretty large money tree, and then a ginseng ficus that I just got. And uh, stemming from the mother-in-law plant, we actually have a pretty bad fungal gnat infestation. And uh, mm. in order to combat that fungal gnat infestation, we've tried worms to eat the larva, um, cutting back on the water to try to kind of starve them out. Um, some outlet bug zappers and like sticky pads uh, that stick into the soil. And all of these seem to help a little bit, but we can't eradicate the fungal gnats and they're driving my dad crazy. <laughs> so this is, this is a, a, hate to tell you, but you're overwatering. So uh, these guys love moisture. So cut back on your watering, try to let the plant, let the soil dry out just a little bit. Um, the little yellow sticky, uh, stickies, is that what you're using? The little fly traps? Mason. Is that what you, is that what you're using? Yeah. Nope. Just the ones that stick in the soil, they're shaped like butterflies and they just crawl right on them and can't fly off. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that's the adult phase. And so that's great. What you want to do, they're cyclic though. So while you're catching the adults, the little larvae are still in the soil. So keep at getting the, the adults and then let the soil dry out. And it just takes a little time, but if you back off and it, this way you don't have to use any other agents. Just the other thought, if you, if you really wanna go for it is you could scoop off the top couple of inches of soil and try to get rid of those little larva. Mm. The other thing you can do, which is really non-toxic is cut up a nice moist potato, stick it under the soil and check it the next day and maybe look for those little larvae and you may be able to pull out the larvae because they attach to that moist potato, Ugh. but stop. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. It's kind of disgusting. It is kind of disgusting, but it works, but you got to stop watering and then those larvae will, will go right to that moist potato. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's one of the tips. Um, it works, uh, you, but you gotta not overwater the plant. Mm. All right, Mason, good luck. Uh, we have a couple other callers on the line. Jenny in Randolph waiting patiently on the line. Jenny, what is your houseplant question? Hi, thanks for taking my call. I have two questions. One is I've got some amaryllises that are blooming, but in the stem, it looks like there's another bud in the stem. And I'm wondering <laughs> about that. And then I have a question about air layering a Norfolk Island pine. All right, let's take your first question mm -hmm. first. Uh, who's humming on our panel? Oh, I was that was me, sorry. <laughs> no, so, what, what are your hey, thoughts? So, hey, Jenny, so you've got something, you've got another bud coming up in the amaryllis, is that what you're saying? Um, usually an amaryllis, but the stem for the flower is just this nice, thin, uniform stem. These guys have big bulges in them, that look like little, that like another bud, and they're thick inside the stem. They're not uniform. I don't know if anyone oh. has seen it, or if I just have these mutant amaryllises. <laughs> wow, that's possible. Or is it going to seed? I wonder. Hmm. Uh, Deb, Calista, do you have any thought on that one? There are definitely just so many varieties of amaryllis. Um, I know some will have multiple flowers, but it's usually at the same time. I don't know if it would be coming up that way. Definitely be interested to see what happens though. Yeah, that's a stumper. 
<laughs> okay. Jenny, maybe we'll have better luck with your second question about the Norfolk Island pine. All right. Yeah, it's gotten really tall, and I'm wondering if I can air layer it, you know, slice partway into the stem, put some rutone in there, sphagnum moss, pack it, and see if I can bring it, bring it back down to the ground a bit. Hmm. Yeah, I can help answer that. So air, air layering is great, a great kind of not super invasive way to um, try to get some roots going. Um, I would definitely, you know, look for the the growth point and just depending on where you want to cut it, pack it with some sphagnum moss um, and then put, you know, tape a plastic bag or whatever method you want to do around it. Um, and and then as soon as you get roots, I think just go for it. And usually where you cut on the tree, you'll get some branching as well. So you might get a really um, unique look for your for your original tree as well. Hmm. <laughs> All right. Well, Jenny, best of luck with your plants. Um, let's take one more call. Uh, Karen in Peachum. Karen, you're on the air. Go ahead. Hi, can you hear me? Yes, we can. Okay, good. So, I have a Gloxinia question. All I right. have a Gloxinia that belonged to my father who's no longer alive, and I'm trying to keep it going. And it's got a corm that's pretty big, um, I would say maybe four inches across, and it's got like six sprouts. And my question is, do I want to um, prune it back to just one main sprout, or do I let all of them just go? Great question. And that's lovely that you're keeping the plant alive that used to belong to your father. I think uh, many of us might have similar plants at home that have connections to a special person in our lives. Uh, Judy, uh, were you able to hear this question? I'm curious if you have thoughts. Yeah. So we're talking about propagation of the Gloxinia. I, gosh, it's been so long since I've played with Gloxinia. Hmm. I, I'd have to ponder on that one for a yeah. minute. So Deb or Callista? Uh, Um, typically, typically plants that have corms, um, you can pretty easily uh, remove those and get them kind of propagating on the or growing on their own. Um, but I don't, I don't see the harm in letting it um, grow in the, the same pot or whatever situation you have as the mother plant, and then separating later. All right. Well, Karen, best of luck with the Gloxinia. Um, oh. Our Karen's question had me thinking about the the this kind of special role again, like we were talking about at the beginning of the show that plants can have, our house plants particularly can have in our lives. I think during the pandemic, many of us started to consider them children, started naming them. Uh, I don't know if that was healthy or not, but we did it. Um, I'm wondering if each of you could speak a bit to what you see as the the health benefits of, um, of caring for plants. So we talk about it a lot with outdoor gardening, but... Um, specifically with indoor gardening, with caring for houseplants as well. Um, Deb, let's start with you. Sure. Um, you know, there's some uh, sort of sciency answers to that question and just sort of good feel answers. Um, so we'll just start with the science part um, because, you know, I'm at a university. Um, so there is this um, concept called a biophilia, and that's sort of our human um innate tendency to want to be around nature and plants. So I feel like houseplants really are a 
uh, a good way to fulfill that, you know, that innate um, human desire for us to be around plants, especially nowadays. Um, I think I read somewhere like people spend like 87% of their lives indoors now, probably a little less in Vermont because we tend to be outdoorsy. Um, so I think it's really important to to sort of bring those plants um, inside and, and help us connect with them. Um, I'll, I'll hold there, but there's so many benefits to having um, uh, plants in indoors in our in our living environments. Eighty seven percent of our lives indoors. You're probably right, but that that sounds ooh high. Need to go outside after today's show. Uh, <laughs> let's go next to to Judy. Yeah, um, still kind of pushing some of that science on everybody. Please, uh, there's been uh, there's proof that houseplants like like the snake plant. Uh, it's the been shown that they actually emit oxygen and improve air quality by removing some toxins. So, you know, it's a great thing to have, be surrounded by, by some beautiful plants and know that they're actually providing great air for us to breathe. So bring on the plants. <laughs> and so it's not just aesthetics, you know, it's, it's good for us. And, and they also say they, sciences, they boost positive emotions, reduce stress, all that kind of good stuff. So, um, yeah. I just love it. And they've also had some studies about, uh, I, I work in a medical center. So uh, results have shown that hospitals, patients tend to recover quicker when the rooms have views of trees and nature. So hmm, think about that. Oh, wow. All right. So Judy, it sounds like you're saving lives if you are giving away houseplants. <laughs> <laughs> and Callista, your thoughts? Yeah, definitely. So even so for me personally, before the show um, today, I was feeling a little nervous. So I got up and I went around and checked on my plants and it was just an immediate stress reliever. You know, you're focusing on a another living being and um, checking in on them. And it's like a quick little serotonin boost, which is always really nice. Um, but also just in Vermont, our growing season is pretty short. Um, compared to some of the more southern climates. So that period where everything is, you know, covered in snow and it's stick season right out there, it's really nice to have something green and thriving that you're caring for and kind of getting you to um, the green season, I guess, up here. Can I add a quick little thing sure. too? So, so the other thing that's great about having houseplants is we can grow herbs inside and we can grow citrus and figs and fruits. And I mean, there's so many things that we can grow indoors during the winter to kind of bring in some of that goodness that we can actually enjoy by, by eating so that there's that whole bonus too. Mm, so our food cultivation doesn't have to stop even though it's cold outside. Um, right. Deb, did you have another thought too? Oh, I just appreciated so much what Callista um, said about uh, stress relief and plants and there's sort of a, a growing body of research that um, that uh, connects uh, that earthy smell that you mm -hmm. um, that you smell you you can envision it that um, that really lush earthy smell um, actually has these volatile organic compounds that do release in our body serotonin serotonin and norepinephrine um so there is really a like a physical response um that we humans have to 
to plants. So I think that's so cool and, um, you know, sort of backs up what we we, we know intuitively that mm. there is these mental health benefits as well as the physical health benefits of, you know, having more oxygen and moisture and um, um, in the that plants provide us too. Well, let me put in a plug here for the show that Vermont Edition did about a year ago about scent and memory and the the importance that, that scent plays in many of our lives. A lot of our conversation, if I'm remembering correctly, ties in well with what you were just saying, Deb. A real quick question I want to squeeze in at the end here, actually from our producer, Daniela, um, who is our resident plant expert. Uh, she has a couple pothos plants on her desk that seem to be thriving, and she's wondering how long she can propagate pothos in water can they just go on living in water forever um <laughs> yes. I'm, I'm gonna throw this one to you yeah you definitely can so even if you're not um, specifically trying to hydroponically grow your pothos um they will survive they're survivors anyway but they can survive in water for a very long time um I have inadvertently kept them uh, a couple cuttings for probably two years and they're just fine. I need to pot them up. But um, if you're really trying to do that, adding some um, liquid like specific for hydroponic growing um, fertilizer is probably the way to go. Well, Callista Boudreau, the owner of Greenspell Plant Shop in Rutland, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. It's delightful. It was such a pleasure to have you alongside Deb Haliba, the coordinator of UVM's UVM Extension's Master Gardener Program. Deb, thank you. Thank you, Michaela. Wow, there's so many plant enthusiasts out there. So exciting. <laughs> so many. I think your your hotline might be getting a lot of emails pretty soon. We also had with us Judy Miro, a volunteer with that Master Gardener Program, who might be answering some of those hotline questions. Judy, thank you so much. Thank you. And bring on those questions. Let's, uh, let's get at it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that is it for today. Thank you, everyone, for participating in our houseplant show. We sound like we might need to do another one pretty soon.